Hello, I'm Dr. Ranj Singh and welcome to Think Which Service from NHS Shropshire, Telford and Rekin. I'll be talking with other health professionals to get the best advice on how you can take good care of yourself. And if you need help, which is the best NHS service to use? Now, as we all know, there are a range of local NHS services to choose from and you don't always need to go see a GP or go to A&E. In this episode, we're talking about how technology can help keep you healthy. With me is Dr. Masood Ahmed. He's the Chief Digital Information Officer and Deputy Chief Medical Officer for NHS Shropshire, Telford and Rekin. He specialises in digital transformation and healthcare innovation and is currently working on implementing an ambitious digital strategy for more than 500,000 citizens across the Shropshire County. Also with us is Dr. Ava Trohanovic, who is the Managing Director of Dignio UK. It's an organisation focused on utilising best-in-class technologies to enable frontline services and service managers to optimise the outcomes for their patients. You're both doing absolutely fantastic things, and I guess I want to start with you, Masood. We'll get stuck right in. What is it that you love most about your job? Because you've got quite a few titles there and quite a few roles. Oh gosh, I have Dr. Range. Listen, that's a that's a difficult one to to start with, and I could probably spend the whole podcast talking about it. But <laughs> I was trying to focus on on really what what I love most about my job. Um, I think there are a number of things. One is the people I work with because I I work with uh, frontline staff. I le- work with kind of managers. I work with our communities and the voluntary sector, and then I work with innovators like Eva. So. I, I'm really lucky in the position that I'm in. But for me, it's about making a positive impact for our community. And really, I feel the way we can do that is through innovation and moving to the kind of the new world of digital. So collaborating with different pro- professionals, I'm constantly learning and growing. All of these things, when you put it into the melting pot, um, I've got one of the best jobs in the world. <laughs> oh, wow. I think we all we all want to be in that position, don't we? We want to have the best job in the world. Eva, you have some amazing roles as well, and you've done some brilliant stuff, especially in the digital space. Um, tell us about your job and what you love most about it. Thank you, Dr. Raj. I think for me, the most enjoyable part is actually interacting with the frontline colleagues and looking at the impacts that rolling out technology can achieve both for the frontline delivery colleagues, but also how services can be delivered differently, but also hearing the patient stories, which are invariably so humbling. We've had some meetings where we had patients come to very generously share their experiences of what technology achieved for them, and they made everyone in the room cry because the impact is not just on the individual who is utilizing the technology and the service that is being delivered to them. It's the feeling of safety. It's the ability to not hit the A&E, not to have to desperately look for healthcare contact, but to be assured that you are looked after safely in the community. But also that impact spreads into their families, into the wider network of people who otherwise would be affected by the trip to the A&E, by the trip to the GP, by the trip to the pharmacy. So being able to utilize the technology and seeing how it has a direct impact on people's experiences and how care is delivered to them, for me, that's the most important part. And the creativity with which our frontline colleagues deploy technologies that are given to them, because they don't just take it as it's given. They are very, very bright, creative people. So they often come up with use cases and ways of doing things, which really 
as technology suppliers surprise us because we didn't think about that, even though we do have clinicians in our team, but they are so invariably creative and very active in how they do things. Well, you've got me hooked already. So I want to find out more. I guess I'll start with you, Masood. Um, Tell us, what do you actually mean for those of us who may not be aware when we talk about digital health services? What, what is that? Yeah, so um, I mean, there are a number of services where we're transitioning from the old way of doing things based on paper and so on to the digital world. Um, so examples of that would be uh, electronic health records. That's a service that our organizations use. And so within Shropshire, Telford and Rican, we're introducing a shared care record. And that means all of our providers, everyone who provides the service can access that information, but also it will mean that patients can access their own records and see their results. Then we've got things like telemedicine and remote consultations. So we saw a big uptick in usage during the pandemic yeah, yeah, when patients couldn't get to see uh, clinicians. And so we used um, meetings, if you like, telemedicine. And that really made a big difference because it meant we could still access healthcare. Um, and then we're looking at, you know, what do people do in their everyday lives that can help us make better decisions? So where you've got wearables and sort of mm. health tracking devices, we can start to see what's happening with your blood pressure, with your uh, heart rate, stress levels. We can kind of get a better sense of not just when you're in a health setting, but what's happening out and about. And then um, with the world of apps, you know, most people will have a smartphone. And so that little smartphone is one powerful computer in your pocket. Mm. And the apps that we've now got, they can track your sleep, they can track your mood, they can help you in terms of things like meditation and so on, but also connect you with healthcare services. So there's a lot, uh, there's a lot going on in terms of digital services. Um, and I think one, one of the key areas we're focusing on is trying to use digital to bring care into the community. So it's allowing us to use the opportunity, for example, virtual wards. You know, how do we um, give the best care? And that's what the NHS does. We, we're very lucky. The NHS provides very high levels of care, but how do we make it better and easier for our patients and for our carers? And part of that is understanding that sometimes you don't need to go into hospital. And so in terms of virtual wards, it's about providing the right support um, and looking after patients in a different setting. So in their home or perhaps in a care home. So a lot of opportunities and a lot going on in our region. That's an absolutely staggering amount. <laughs> so many possibilities and so much potential, isn't there, Eva, for this kind of technology to actually transform the way we care for people and make it easier. That's, that's what we want to do. We want to make things easier, quicker and better. Absolutely. And uh, as Dr. Masood was referring to, the care in the community and care homes. And uh, for me personally, it's about optimizing how care is delivered, where and by whom. And it's about making it available and having a consistent quality of care. For example, within the social care settings, you have a very high level of staff turnover. And it's about ensuring that when a new shift comes on, they know what the residents, each resident's personalized normal looks like. Mm. So when they start getting worse, they know that 
this person was yesterday walking okay. If today they're just sitting slumped on a chair, that is not their normal. If you just come onto a shift and you have no idea what happened, you may think this is this person's baseline normal. So it's about utilizing technologies to really optimize the consistent quality of care being delivered in the settings which are best for the individual receiving that care. And for me, it goes uh, beyond virtual wards, which are very much about keeping people in hospital, but into the wider definition of virtual care, which is all about optimizing the quality of life and quality of care to help people stay healthy and independent and fully mobile and being able to enjoy whatever it is they wish to enjoy in life without being bound or defined by the illness. It's about enabling individuals and citizens to work, go on holidays, be active, without having to turn up at a certain time to a certain uh, estate asset, such as hospital clinic. It's about being able to, to, to reorganize the experience of receiving care as much as keeping a consistent quality of that care. So how might this actually work in real life, though? How could these digital services impact the care that someone gets if they either go to their GP or if they go to hospital? What sort of real life impact are we looking at? So um, one of the impacts is actually improving access to care. Um, You know, if you think about our region of Shropshire, we have um, a smallish population that's spread out very wide. So there's a lot of people that live in rural communities and getting to see a healthcare professional can be quite a challenge. So when we look at things like telemedicine, actually it's about access. How do we make it easier to improve the opportunities for access? Um, I think when we talk about impact, it's also about optimizing what we do. So how do we make a faster diagnosis? How do we get to treatment faster? And a lot of that is using the opportunities to make those decisions. Um, I think it's also about moving to more of a personalized kind of approach that as we get more information and more data about our, our, our people, our citizens, we can make better decisions that are more suited to them. So actually starting to understand the various aspects of people's lives and understanding that many of us as, they, as we grow older will have comorbidity, so more than one illness at a time. But we can't just treat every illness on its own. We want to treat the person as a whole. So that holistic approach. And I think when we move into the digital world, it helps us triangulate the various perspectives so we can make better decisions in a more personalized manner. So a number of benefits, if you like, as we moved and we start using sort of the digital tools that we have. It certainly sounds really, really exciting for patients. But what might the benefits to healthcare professionals be, Ava? What sort of things could people like myself and Masood and yourself look forward to? Uh, I think the personalised angle is certainly important because, for example, if you have a multidisciplinary team, everyone is sharing a single version of the truth. So you don't have the endless time being spent on handovers and details being missed out, sometimes critical details falling through the cracks in the handover of care, specifically between different levels of care. Uh, So that is avoided or minimized. Uh, The second impact is that you can change how you deliver care. So, for example, in one of our uh, examples, uh, the discovery was that the colleagues spent so much time on the phone chasing patients for the follow-ups just to figure out whether they're okay or not. That is all immediately replaced by different ways of communicating, and that allows them to optimize when the clinics are delivered The patients always have the most up-to-date information which is relevant to them personally, which increases 
the likelihood that they will actually do what they are being asked to do because it's personally relevant. It's not uh, mm. some sort of an instruction that is uh, impersonal and, and, and is not geared up to, to, towards their particular needs. So you immediately get much higher engagement from patients, which really boosts the morale of the staff because they feel they're getting somewhere with that particular patient. They see the improvement in the health and uh, it allows them to change the way care is delivered. So it just saves a lot of time. It allows you to do things differently. It improves the engagement from the patients. And also the work you do is actually caring for people. And I think that often gets forgotten that so much time is taken up with uh, trying to get to the point of care or trying to do some admin tasks or automating or non-automating tasks, which which could be automated. So, you know, it's about being able to deliver that care that all clinicians go into medicine to deliver to their patients. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because traditionally, I think a lot of us are so used to -to face-to-face care and providing uh, care for our patients in that way that when we changed during the pandemic, and that was a forced change, um, people reacted very differently to it. It almost felt as if they weren't getting the care that they were getting before. Actually, they were. It's just in a very different way. And this technology, potentially for us as professionals, can make our jobs easier. It can make it more effective. It's just just, just a different way of doing it. But we can still provide that care. Um, we can just do it in a slightly better way, hopefully. Um, but it does involve, as you were saying, a buy-in from patients. It does involve them taking a little bit of responsibility as well and sharing that care which some people may not be used to i guess that might be perceived as a benefit in some ways and possibly also as a challenge masood yeah so in terms of that buy-in i think we're on that journey anyway you know if you look at how much we use our smartphones it's something i referred to earlier um it's now the norm so we'll do our shopping we'll do our banking well there's no reason why we shouldn't do our healthcare as well And I think it's really about ensuring that we're making um, the world we live in as easy as possible so that we can kind of make those decisions faster. We can make it easier. We can have access. Um, You know, we talked about information. Now, again, by having access to 111, to having access to various websites and portals, the NHS app is is great in that respect. It means that you, you can find the information that you need when you need it. And then we're moving to this model where we're going to start using it to, to make appointments, to see what our, our um, results are like, blood results and so on. So really, it is an exciting time. And what's really important is that we in, in, in you know, Shropshire, Telford and Rekin are, are, are positive about what we do and ambitious. You know, we don't want to be left behind. I think we've got a, a population that really is embracing this technology. So we need to be able to provide it to them. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. So many of us use technology every day and we don't necessarily realise that a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, we're already familiar with. It's nothing big and new and, and complicated that's coming in. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's stuff that we've, we're already familiar with, we have got familiar with, especially over the last few years. Um, and many of us will be integrating this as part of our lives already. For instance, you know, a lot of us, as you mentioned, have smartphones. Uh, many of us have smart watches. We'll all be familiar with fitness trackers and things like that. What other sort of equipment are we talking about here? Because it's not all just going to be phones and watches is it 
I think a bit of the work that we've done is around having the right kit in the home. And I think that's where Eva's the expert, you know, mm. that's, that's her business. Um, <laughs> but from a clinician's perspective, what we're looking for is those innovators that understand the home setting and can really understand what is it that we need as clinicians to make our decision-making better, to make our care more effective. Um, but in terms of the gadgets, well, that, that's Eva's space. Eva, what sort of gadgets and I suppose technology are we looking at here? Because yes, sure, we're all familiar with smartphones. Many of us might be familiar with smartwatches and things like that. A lot of us use apps in our day-to-day -day lives. Is there other things that we need to be aware of? There is actually a lot out there in the innovation space and the pace of the development is escalating rapidly. So we see sort of new technology being rolled out and proven most importantly as effective on, you know, weekly, bi-weekly basis. And what you are looking at is you have the person-centered observation and care, which is all about the wearables on the person, the intermittent monitoring of their vital signs, for example, interaction with questions, communication tools. This is very much person-centered. The individual needs to interact with something. But then you also have the environmental-based sensors. So you can have, for example, sensors around the home. You can have sensors around the urban environment. Uh, for example, if you create a sheltered housing uh, environment, you can roll out so many different technologies that will allow you to have the residents proceed about their lives in a completely safe manner being supported in non-intrusive way because there's a lot of technologies out there that uh, sound really great but they introduce this feeling of intrusion and uh, when you're on the receiving end as the person considering do i want this rolled out in my vicinity you may have privacy concerns you may have other concerns so it's really important about recognizing that there's a lot out there to be choosing from but you need to look at the quality and the privacy issues and whether it's acceptable and usable to the end user the patient because for example our first users were frail elderly people in norway with copd and we were told in uh, uh, 2012 that they won't be able to use the tech because all the people don't like tech and we've had that again 10 years later in the, in the UK and the bottom line is that if the technology is designed with the end users with the clinicians who get useful data and tools that they need for the clinical care and the service managers who need certain data points to help them guide the requirements and then with the patient users who need to be able to use all the gadgets given to them, but they also need to be acceptable to them within the daily lifestyle. Otherwise, you'll get zero engagement and you'll see the shiny boxes gathering dust, which we have seen in various places. <laughs> so it's all about selecting approaches and technologies that are most suitable for the setting, for the population that is being served and rolled out effectively. And I think that's where uh, Masood's point about uh, the local environment and really working very closely with the teams and being lucky to work with fantastic teams that makes all the difference to the success over medium and long term. We've seen some great innovation. So again, this whole idea of it being intrusive, um, we've got sensors on kettles that actually they start to use predictive analytics. So if um, someone elderly perhaps doesn't go and make cup of tea or boil the kettle at the time you'd expect. It just gives you a bit of a nudge to check, is everything okay? And those kind of things are really helpful because we've had it where elderly people can have a fall and they can't always call for help. And sometimes we get a sense that something might be wrong. 
So I think that's really been helpful in terms of providing a safe environment at home for people that are perhaps vulnerable. I think I could do with one of those kettle sensors just to boil my kettle for me in the mornings. That would be quite handy. <laughs> there's no risk of there's no risk of my sensor wondering what's going on. It's probably on more than any other device in my home, I reckon. <laughs> Absolutely. And this thing about age. I have to admit, you know what? Sometimes I think we get it wrong. Yes. When it comes to people who are a little bit more mature, I think that given the opportunity, they love the new technology. You know, um, just recently, I've, I've, I had to buy a new tablet for my mother-in-law mm. and a new uh, smartphone for my mother, um, simply because they like it. You know, it's not just Candy Crush they use it for. Yes. They want to find out information. And actually, if you if it's set up in the right way, most of these devices are very intuitive and they don't really take much training. So we really should embrace that and uh, not prejudge what our uh, some of our older population might think about technology. Absolutely. And we, we forget that these devices and apps are designed with the end user in mind. They're designed to be as user friendly as possible. So whilst it may seemingly feel complex uh, when you think about it, actually using it is relatively straightforward just with some simple instructions and you use the best example there my parents were exactly the same they got a tablet they got smartphones I panicked thought you're never going to be able to figure this out I haven't got the time to teach you and they have been fantastic they have embraced it and now I don't I don't think they could live without them to, <laughs> to be honest that, that's why they want the latest version yeah. you know give it a few years and they're looking for an update <laughs> absolutely one area that I am personally really interested in because I I work in A&E obviously is how we can use technology to better deliver emergency care this is one of the things that people are really struggling with especially now given that A&E departments and other emergency services are so under pressure and in high demand. How can these technologies and online resources help us kind of take off some of that pressure? That's a really good one. And, and again, we all know that the NHS is under significant pressure after the pandemic. We're, we're in that kind of recovery phase. So again, how do we best utilize the technology we've got? So there are a couple of things from a patient's perspective. There is the online triage systems. You've got 111 where you can kind of connect and get information. But then you've also got um, sort of chatbots and symptom checkers. Um, now we have to be careful which ones we use. And so those that are available through the NHS app, we know that they've gone through the kind of the safety checking. Um, but that also can help give you a bit of, uh, if you like, comfort in that you know you're getting the right advice. Um, but also, not all people that need urgent advice need to go to an A&E department or an emergency department. So again, it's, it's sometimes creating those virtual consultations. And then the flip side of that is, what about our care settings? What are they doing around technology? And some of that is to do with ensuring we've got the right information available at your fingertips. So you're not going through paper records trying to see what the history is. So electronic health records are really important. I think being able to access the right information at the right time, you know, makes a huge difference. And so these are all things that really help. And then if you look at, um, say, hospitals, for example, how do we ensure that our patients are moving through the system in the right way? Because there's a lot that happens on that patient journey. So considering patient flow, how do we get people through the system 
as quickly as possible because actually that's what's best for the patient. We don't want people waiting for hours for a bed that's going to become available. So in terms of bed capacity, we want to ensure that our patients are discharged in a safe way as quickly as possible. So again, bringing all this information together, making sure all the checks have been done in the right way and making sure that that journey is safe. And Ava, have you been working on technologies that kind of aim to speed up that process or get people easier access to urgent care? Certainly, uh, we've worked with uh, an organization, a not-for-profit organization, providing out-of-hospital, out-of-hours care. And the impact of that service utilizing the technology uh, to effectively assist residents in care homes and uh, assist residents in the community, uh, the impact of it was that you detect deterioration earlier. So if someone starts getting worse, you can pick them up earlier in the process. You can guide and assist whoever is with that person, be it a professional or a family member, to take certain simple steps which can alleviate the deterioration. If that keeps on progressing, again, you can guide them remotely through what they need to do next. And a lot of the attendances to A&E may be guided by lack of access to appropriate care or lack of understanding of what's available locally. So a lot of it is about providing information to the local communities in a really easy, accessible way at their fingertips. And when we are talking about the uh, omnipresence of smart devices, uh, everyone's got those. So, you know, but the backbone of all these activities is the electronic patient records and all the professionals being able to share information about that person turning up on the screen, turning up at the clinic, turning up at the uh, at the A&E. So they have the single shared version of the truth and everyone is interacting in a shared setting. So you don't have the patients repeating the same story several times at different contact point. One thing I, I want to pick up on it uh, just there that you mentioned Masood was the NHS 111 online service so a lot of people will be familiar with NHS 111 often using uh, or accessing it through their phones like calling someone up and speaking to them and the 111 online system is fantastic because in 90 seconds you can answer some questions and it gives you an, a quick assessment and points you in the right direction and you don't always end up having to go to A&E but it could be another source of care you can get repeat prescriptions from there you can get mental health support you can get find out information about emergency dentists there's so many things on 111 online that I think people may not realize and you can do that all from the comfort of your home on your phone and access it really really quickly yeah I mean the NHS is a huge organization and there are so many different services that are actually there for you so, but you don't always know where to go and how to engage with those services. So actually that's the reason 111 is such a valuable resource. You can, like you say, log in, you can call them. And actually that's what they're there for, you know, to get advice and to direct you and put you in touch with the right service. Because again, a lot of the time you may not need to go to A&E and it might be that you need to see a GP or you might be able to go and see a local pharmacist. So again, knowing where to go, when to go there, getting that reassurance, I think really does help. Okay, now moving a bit more towards, I suppose, uh, being in hospital, we've spoken about it already. Uh, A lot of people will have heard the term virtual wards. What do we actually mean by them though, Masood? What kind of patients might they be suitable for? And have we got much experience with them? Because I know immediately people will be hesitant because it's a new concept. So virtual wards really came about. I mean, we did have them to a degree pre-pandemic, but during the pandemic, that's when there was a huge investment in kind of scaling up the capacity 
around virtual wards. And certainly within our system, um, we're investing heavily in building up that capacity. Now, what is a virtual ward? Well, actually, it's kind of remote monitoring and care for the patients in their home environment. That's essentially it. Who's it suitable for? Well, it's suitable for many people who have got chronic conditions. So if it's respiratory, like chronic obstructive airway disease, you don't really want to be moving them around and putting them into hospital if really what you're interested in is monitoring them, checking that, you know, what are their oxygen saturations level like? What's their breathing like, their pulse? You can do that in the home setting. And if there's any triggers that make you a little bit concerned, then you can get them into hospital. But most patients actually prefer to be in the home environment. And then you've got patients who, have, you know, might have had surgery and they want to get home, but actually you're a little bit concerned. So it's a bit like a, a, you know, a bit of a comfort blanket. You can get them home. You've got those extra kind of um, sensors that are there. You're keeping an eye on them constantly. So when we manage a virtual ward, it's a bit like um, in, a, in a spaceship. We've got a control center. We can see all of the, the kind of the vital signs. And what we're looking for is any change that makes us worried. And if we're worried, we can go and intervene. But if people are recovering from surgery, you know, getting them home as quickly as possible. In terms of what else it gives us, well, actually, it allows us to share information. So it's not just the, the clinicians who are based in the hospital or based in our control centers, but it's also our community staff, our nurses, our you know, physiotherapists. We can all get that information and share it. Um, and it's really above everything else, it's about ensuring safety. So making sure that we're continuously monitoring. We're not, we're not you know, providing this service to, to uh, put people in a setting that's not as safe as it would be in hospital. It's, it's as safe, if not safer, because they're in their home environment. So there, there, there are two kind of aspects. One is the step up and one is the step down. So the step up is if, for example, you're at home and you, you kind of, you want that little, you know, as a GP, you might go and visit a patient and think, mm, you know what, they could get worse. Let's keep an eye on them. So you'd use a virtual ward to keep an extra eye on them. And if they deteriorate, then they can go into hospital. But rather than sending them straight into hospital, you've got that, that, that kind of um, service available to watch over them. And equally, you've got the step down that they're in hospital, they want to get home, you want to make it as safe as possible. So then you can put them in a virtual ward, put them in home, uh, get them back home, but in a virtual ward setting. And therefore you keep an eye on them. And therefore, if anything goes wrong or they start heading in the wrong direction, you can intervene. Yeah, and that's what I think people need to remember it is almost like an extra safety mechanism sometimes. And it's basically a hospital at home in the comfort of your own home where you can have that added reassurance and if someone needs to come in and check in with you they can do that it beats you know sitting around in hospital which a lot of people don't need to do and you can get that care from the comfort of your own home most people recover faster when they're at home yes exactly. you know so really for us that's the key is that care in the community is a good thing yes our job is as healthcare professionals is to make sure that it's safe you know, safety always comes first. Yeah. And Ava, you've done a lot of work, obviously, with care homes and this type of monitoring, almost having preventing people getting into hospital or needing to get to hospital in the first place, because you can detect when things aren't going quite so well and 
and intervene earlier then, can't you? There are the sort of the two sides of the coin, so to speak. One is to detect when someone is getting unwell and being able to intervene earlier. So it, the escalation of the care need does not occur because they get treated when it's still mild, when it's treatable locally. And then you've got uh, the other, the question you ask about who is it for? We've got on one of our virtual wards, which is atrial fibrillation virtual ward, we have two legally blind people and someone who declared themselves a technophobe before they were trained on the technology and that uses ECG as well. And what that achieves for the patients and invariably the feedback from the patients is it's so nice to be at home. It's so nice to be able to eat your own food, to do what you want to do. And the recovery that Masood uh, referred to, you know, there are additional risks to being in hospital. So anyone who doesn't have to stay there, for example, all you need is optimizing your medication. Go home with the sensors, with the monitoring, and people will intervene if something goes uh, goes out of ordinary. Yeah. But it's all about, and within care home, again, it's about picking up when something starts going wrong. A lot of the time it's simple. It's rehydration. It's giving people some extra food. It's keeping an eye on them. But if you're able to access experts remotely in a timely manner, or you have a set of materials, so what the technology also does, it democratizes access to care and expertise. So, for example, you don't have to have someone tell you things. If you have your repository of resources as a professional available to you at your fingertips on your device at work, then you can walk around, do your ward round, do your residential care setting ward round. And uh, as a care provider, you can see what's going on. You can see the protocol that you need to follow if something appears not normal. I think that's what technology offers. It offers this sort of uh, consistent quality of care and access to the best possible resources at any point in the journey, both for the patients and for the professionals. It's such an exciting and interesting area. We're already starting to to use some of these technologies to make things better. I'm looking forward to doing it more. Um, I think it's definitely going to be one of those parts of healthcare that's really going to accelerate over the next few years. And hopefully, and you know, this is why we do it, is to provide better care for everyone. Um, we could talk about this for hours, but we're not going to... <laughs> because this podcast only lasts so long. So I want to finish. We've talked about some very, very heavy and complex stuff. I want to finish on something that's a bit more lighthearted. And I want to ask you both. We are surrounded in a world of technology. We are constantly connected. We have access to so much information uh, and people that we are constantly switched on. And I have to remind myself of this to just take some time to switch off Just relax a little bit and do those things that we all like doing that doesn't necessarily involve an electronic device. Now, I want to know from both of you, how do you personally find time to rest, relax and refresh? Gosh, that's a really tough one. I think especially when you're working in the NHS, um, you know, we have to remember that prioritising self-care is so important. I think we're seeing record levels of burnout and stress. Um, and I have to admit, you know, I'm guilty. I am always connected to my phone or my laptop. <laughs> Honestly, it's, um, I get told off. Me you know, too. A couple of walls at the dining table. It's like no, no phones. Um, if I'm to be honest, the only way I properly switch off is by going walking and hiking. And Shropshire's beautiful in that respect. Whether you go to, you know, Carding Mill Valley or you go to Long Mind, um, you know, you see the light sprout waterfall. That's that's the, the only time truly that 
myself, my wife, you know, and she's great. She'll, she'll be like, right, let's go walking. And I'm sure she picks the areas that have no reception <laughs> because without a doubt, you'll go out and, you know, and actually it doesn't even matter whether it's raining or whether it's sunny. It's so good. I always grumble and say, I haven't got time, but when you're out and about and yeah. you breathe in the fresh air, and so long as I've got my coffee with me, yeah, it's great. And the kids as well, you know, they won't have any reception, so they end up talking to each other and it's <laughs> great. But, you know, Shropshire's beautiful. There's so many places where you can walk and connect with nature. And I, I have to keep reminding myself that actually that's that's probably the, the key thing to do to just switch off from the rest of the world yeah, and refresh. And it does. It makes a big difference. It really, really does. Eva, what's your relaxation and refreshment method of choice? I have to second that uh, description of nature as a really powerful healer. And we see that uh, being also utilized for, you know, trying to make people better and prescribing green prescribing and just sending people out for a walk because it's really great for your mental well-being. It's great for your physical well-being. Uh, I'm a little bit uh, uh, more compromising in terms of I just go out and work in my garden. <laughs> but uh, uh, I found I also harness technology to control technology. So I do use the do not disturb and the sleep routine oh, settings good. on my devices yeah. just to make sure that whether I like it or not, the routine kicks in because it's automatically set up. So if I forget to switch it off, I will be given time off when things do not ping and do not go off. <laughs> uh, so I think you can certainly utilize technology to support your time off. And there are so many tools out there that help you improve yeah. your well-being, meditation, mindfulness, various different tools uh, that will in a way force you to stop, reflect and pause. And I think that really enriches you as an individual. Yeah. Because I think a lot of the time, uh, especially as Masood referred to, when you're really busy, you constantly feel you have to give and give and give. And you're constantly on the go. You do head for burnout. But also you forget yourself. And you forget that there's a bigger world out there. And I think when you step away, when you're either forced to step away by your family because they take you into the out-of-mobile <laughs> network coverage area or you just set your phone up to, to, to go dead for several hours, uh, then, you know, it just gives you a completely different perspective that, you know, really calms you down and sometimes helps you be a lot more creative in how you tackle the challenges that you may be facing in your daily life. So for me, it's definitely a resounding yes to all things green. Absolutely. It's so important, no matter what it is, that you make a bit of time for yourself as well whether that's just having a cup of tea and sitting down and taking a break and having a think and a reflect on stuff or getting out into a green space if you've got one near you I went on a five kilometer hike with some friends in the hills up north over the weekend um, it was absolutely brilliant just a word of warning to everyone out there who might be thinking of doing that there's a lot more animal poo around in the countryside than there is in cities so you just need to as I learned for myself <laughs> and on that note I want to thank you both so much uh, for your insights your advice uh, it's been absolutely incredible speaking to you both it's a really really exciting field as I said watch this space everyone thank you to everyone listening so thank you to Dr Masood Ahmed and Dr Ava Trohanovic you've been listening to Think Which Service from NHS Shropshire Telford and Rekin and you can find out more by visiting thinkwhichservice.co.uk Thank you so much and we'll see you next time.